Imagine not knowing what your income would be each week. Financial planning would be a nightmare. More than 90% of Vision's income is free will donations. When supporters commit to monthly giving, it provides greater certainty when budgeting for regular expenses and weighing up new opportunities that arise. And knowing we can rely on regular monthly gifts takes some guesswork out of operating a faith ministry. Monthly givers who share our mission are called Visionary Extra Mile Partners. And right now, you are invited to join this growing group of faithful supporters. The amount of your tax-deductible monthly gift is completely up to you. But what is most important is knowing that you are standing with us to reach Australia with the gospel. To become a Visionary Extra Mile partner, click the banner in the Vision app or go to vision.org.au slash extra mile. It only takes a few minutes, but will have an eternal impact. Vision. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Today with Jeff Vines. And so far in this series called The Story, we've studied Genesis, Moses and the Israelites, and the account of Joshua and the walls of Jericho. You can find any of these messages wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. Today, we're completing a message we started last time. We're looking at Gideon's life in Judges 6 and 7. He faced some trying times. So let's see what we can learn from his walk with God. Here's Pastor Jeff. You know, when Job asked God those questions about why things were happening to him, remember one of God's response was to Job, hey, do I owe any man anything? Do I not own everything that is on the earth? Can I not take anything I want because everything ultimately comes from me? Everything under the heavens belongs to God. Whatever you have in your life was a gift from him. It's his, not yours. It's just on loan to you. If he requires it back, it's his sovereign right to do so for the advancement of his kingdom. The question is, have you died to yourself? Man, I could go on and on about that. That's a sermon in and of itself. What do you have? What are you holding on to that God, you know in your heart, asks you to give up, but you won't give it up? And because you won't give it up, God is not able to do ultimately what he wants to do through your life and in your life. Our response to seemingly insignificant tests will often be the determining factor of what God will do in our lives. God will send you little tests along your way. Will you give this up, Jeff? Okay, good. Will you give that up? Will you... Man, you get to the point where if you're... since I know that you are willing... Abraham, to sacrifice your own son, I now know that you can be used for greatness. Is that you? 
say, Pastor Jeff, you mean if I don't respond appropriately when God sends me a test that I forfeit my opportunity to be used by God? In the words of Chuck Swindoll, no, you just guaranteed that you're going to stay in this test the whole life until you get it right. God will often use our difficulties to build our faith. God will often require us to do things that seem to be unreasonable. God will always lead us to do that, which gives him the most glory. God is about his glory and he's not going to share his glory with anybody. It's not that he needs it to make himself feel better. It's just when you're as good as God is and you understand how his glory works, you'll understand that God will always lead you to do that, which gives him, not you, the most glory. Verse two, he said, Gideon, you have too many men to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. You think about it. He says, you know, if you guys have four to one odds and you win, you'll come out and say, man, we were outnumbered, but look what we did. If the odds are 13 to one still, you're going to say our wisdom and our power and our strategy gave us the victory. But man, when the odds are 450 to one, I mean, this is hand-to-hand combat. 450 could just walk up on one and beat him to death, right? When it's 450 to one, the only way to be victorious is God. And that's what God is interested in your life. Put you in situations where you know the only way you can get out is God. That way he gets the glory. You know, when we lost our first child in Africa in the car accident, I've shared that story. And I saw my wife walk up in a, uh, uh, on the weekend service. Uh, and I saw these African, these Shona women in the Shona culture in Zimbabwe who had been taught that if you lose a child, it's because God has cursed you and turned his back from you. And I saw my wife, the pastor's wife, they saw her stand up and say that God loves her now as much as he did before and that she loves God and everything she has belongs to God and God has not abandoned her. And to see those African women just come to Christ in droves, how powerful that was, more powerful than three years of sermons I had preached, then I realized that it is God's special. It is his forte to take a disadvantage, turn it into advantage and use it for the glory of God. And that's what he wants to do in every situation of our life. You know, I don't know what God causes and what he allows. I'm not that smart. Neither are you. No pastor is. We're never given an answer. We're never given an answer while we're in the wilderness. There's too many possibilities. But we are told that this same God takes that wilderness, builds our faith, requires us to do something. Sometimes it seems to be unreasonable but will always lead us to do that, which gives him the most glory, not us. Isn't it true that in our abundance, God seldom gets the glory? Come on. That's the problem with America right now. Now be careful. I love this country. I, I, I bleed red, white, and blue. But the reason we are drifting from God is because we're fat. We got milk and honey. God has blessed us and they've, became, they've become distractions. So God is an inconvenience. There are some of you right now that are thinking of all the things you could be doing rather than being here. It's, you know, that's not a judgment call. It's just, it's natural. It's what happens when you have so many distractions. And the best thing God could do for us is to remove the distractions. And sometimes he will. Maybe not in an entire country, but maybe in a person's life that he wants to use. If he's going to use you, he's got to remove them. While in abundance, God seldom gets the glory. In deliverance, God gets praised. But the problem is deliverance and oppression are inextricably tied together. You can't have one without the other. And so God allows times of oppression that he might deliver. And as he does, we glorify God. Let me give you two quotes that have spoken to me. They're totally separate quotes, but I think they're related. John Piper says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And I get, we glorify God by having an intimate relationship with him. That's how we glorify God. We seek him to know him. 
But Henry Ward Beecher says, tears are the telescope by which men see far into heaven. Now let's think about those two things together. I don't like the example of saying that we Christians are magnifying glass. I don't like that because that, that is to take something small and make it larger. That's not what we do with God. We're more like telescopes. We take something that is large and vast and bring it near so that people can see the glory of God. Henry Ward Beecher says that tears are the telescope. Something happens in us in our pain where God comes near. And when God comes near and intimacy occurs, then God is glorified because we are enjoying his presence. And when we enjoy his presence in the midst of our tears, guess what happens? People around us see the power and the glory of God on us, which tells me that if God's going to lead us to do that, which gives him the most glory, I'm going to have some times of wilderness and God is going to build my faith that I respond in such a way that I become a walking, living, breathing testimony of everybody around me to the glory and the power of Christ. You say, okay, Pastor Jeff, I got that. Sure, the death of your son glorified God, but you're still without a son. Yes, I am. How do you deal with that? Because he who gave life first can give it again. That's why God, that's why God can allow us to lose a life. Because he who made that life the first time can make it again. I will see my son. In the words of Jack Hayford, I will hold him in heaven. I've not seen the last. David said, he will not return to me, but I will go to my son. And whatever I've lost here, God will replace to an infinitely greater degree. You and I see life here. God sees it throughout all eternity. What we might lose here is more than made up for in the five billionth year of our existence with God in eternity. That doesn't make it any easier, I know, for us to deal with what we deal with here. I know that. I do understand this, though. G.K. Chesterton said that God is like the sun. You can't look directly at him, but without him, you can't see anything else. Without God, our trials and tribulations and wildernesses of our lives are nothing more than a collocation of unfortunate events with no redeeming factor. But with God... I can't see directly toward him. I don't understand everything about him. But if I allow God to shine his light on everything else, everything else becomes clear. In the end, Job said, my redeemer lives and he will stand on the earth. I don't know everything about your life and my life, but I know that he will have the last say and one day it will become clear. In the meantime, he is going to lead me to do everything that gives him the most glory. Not only that, folks, God will strip us of everything we depend on other than himself when we're in the wilderness. You think about this. Gideon had 32,000 men. God said, you got too many. He's got 10,000. You still got too many. You got 300. It's a helpless little bunch of farmers. I guess 135,000 well-trained warrior Midianites. So Gideon has the second staff meeting with God. Okay. All right. We got 300 men, but now God is going to release the secret weapon, right? So he goes to God to get the arsenal. God says, here's what I want you to take. I want you to tell the men, the 300 men to take their trumpets Okay, a clay jar, all right, torches, and their voice. No mention of swords, bows, arrows, javelins, or spears, just trumpets, clay jars, torches, and your voice. Let me tell you, in my own life, I have learned God will strip you of everything you depend on other than himself because God's not going to share his glory with anybody. I mean, what is your go-to thing? When you get in a situation where your life's falling apart, the rug's been pulled out from under you, the odds are heavily stacked against you, where do you go? What's your go-to thing? That thing is your idol. It's the thing that you ultimately trust in. And God is about the business when you're in the wilderness and stripping all that away from you. 
It might be an addiction of some sort. It might be food. You might start just eating a lot. It might be escapism. You might just hide away from everybody. It might be that you're one of those persons when the bottom or the rug is pulled out from under you, what you do is you go to every person you can until somebody tells you what you want to hear. That's why when people see you coming, they think, oh, how many times do I have to tell this person? And you think your friends are abandoning you when in reality, sometimes God is stripping everything away from you. If that's what you depend on, if that's your idol, he's gonna take it away. For some of you, it's money. I'll just make more money. I'll get busy at work. I'll do anything I can without having to face this wilderness. And you know what God does in the wilderness? He strips it all away so that you'll be forced to depend on only one thing and one thing alone, and that's him. And then you'll drop to your knees. And here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of it. When you get to the point where you can't depend on anything other than him and you drop to your knees in submission and you say, God, without you, it cannot be done, then God will release the power of his Holy Spirit in you and through you to the degree that you are helplessly dependent on him. The more you empty out yourself and the more you empty out your dependence on everything else, the spirit of God comes in and he will fill you, fill you with his power and his wisdom and his strength. The apostle Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He said, when I am weak, that's when I am strongest. What does he mean? As I empty myself out, the power of the spirit comes inside to me. And with the wisdom of God comes the power of God to give me the tools for victory. God will strip you of everything you depend on other than himself. Number five, God will send you encouragement when you grow faint-hearted. This is beautiful. Stay with me, almost done. God will send you encouragement. There are times in this old flesh and old body, man, when we're in this world and we're depressed and the you know, job's not going well, marriage's not going well, nothing's going well. There are times we just say, God, you know, I want to be faithful, but you know what? My world's falling apart. I got to tell you, I'm a little bit afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. I got no guarantee. God, I'm afraid my wife's going to die. I'm afraid my children are not going to come back home. I'm afraid that my husband will never get another job. I'm afraid that my children are going to not have enough food to eat clothes on. God, what do you expect? It's a tough world. Have you tried living in it? Of course, the answer is yes. He did. He did. And he gave it all for the sake of the kingdom. For those of you who struggle with that, that's why I think the cross is the most brilliant idea in the mind of God. There is no question you can't ask that you can't turn to the cross and find your answer. Serious. No philosophical question I have ever... One of these days, I'm going to write a book. It's in my mind right now. I am going to write, one day I'm going to write a book on the power of the cross, just because every philosophical question I come to is answered in the cross. Would God ever let somebody suffer just for his glory? His own son? When all seems dark and bleak, can you actually have victory? Can you say the cross? Is it possible that you're right in the center of the will of God when you're suffering the most? The cross? I'm telling you, every answer, every answer, every question, God, it's brilliant in the mind of God. But God also sends you encouragement when you grow faint-hearted. In my opinion, this is the most hilarious narrative in the Old Testament. Because God says, Gideon, I, I sense you're still a little bit afraid. Well, yeah, God. I mean, it's 300 against 135,000. And they got all these weapons. We got nothing. You just given us a trumpet. I guess we could hit him over the head with that. But we got nothing. And you're going to send us in to defeat these Midianites? Yeah, God. Duh. <laughs> I'm a little afraid. All right, Gideon. Okay. I want you to take your servant Pura and I want you to go down to the enemy camp right on the outskirts. I'm going to show you where to go. You go down there and there's something I want you to hear. I think it's going to encourage you. So Gideon, now his faith has been built. So he just does what God asked him to do. He doesn't talk back. Okay, God, he takes Pura. doesn't know where he's going. Just knows God's going to lead him to a certain place. And evidently God leads him to a certain place where he's right on the edge of the enemy camp and there's a tent and it's an enemy tent, a Midianite tent. And one of the Midianites, Gideon overhears 
One of the Midianites says, dude, I just had an awesome dream. Tell me about it. A big loaf of barley bread came rolling down the hill and knocked over this tent. And you know what his friend's response is? He says, what could that mean? And let me read it for you. It's in the scripture. He says, I'll tell you what that means. This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, I'll just say that right for a minute. What dream interpretation school did you go to? I mean, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp. And it, really? I mean, I can think of a lot of, uh, lot of possibilities. It means we need more bread. We're out of bread. You know, it, it, means that, it means we're eating too much bread and it's going to destroy us. Okay, but really? A big loaf of barley bread crashes over the tent. Oh, well, that's easy. God has given the Midianites into the hand of Gideon. <laughs> And that, whatever happened, whatever happened there, Gideon is so inspired that he starts jumping up and down with his servant Pura. They have a worship service right there on the outskirts of the enemy camp. They don't care who's listening now. They're not afraid because God's already told them, man, you're gonna, you're gonna give the hand of Midian. You're gonna give Midian into the hand of Gideon. Can I tell you, this is a beautiful act, an example of how God in one great act of kindness demonstrates his sensitivity to a man who's grown faint-hearted his unconditional love to a man who's willing to obey him and his sovereign power at a very strategic time. He leads him to the right place, the right tent, the right dream, the right interpretation. Have, there have been times, all of us are like this. There are times you just need a word from God, just something. That's why you cannot separate yourself from other believers. You can't because oftentimes he'll use it through them. The word often comes through a friend. If you live in isolation, it's gonna be tough. You know, I, I think I told you when I first took the job here, you know, my first few weeks here were terrible. Uh, the guy that was living next to us committed suicide. And we heard the gunshot. Okay, a couple of days later, our dog Milo gets bitten by a rattlesnake. So my, my daughter's favorite pet, and I'm rushing him to the hospital in Pasadena to find antivenom, which ain't cheap, by the way. So, you know, it's... And then my daughter and I, for the first time in our lives, are just kind of separating a little bit. It's the only time in our lives that that happened. And I think she was having trouble forgiving me for moving her from New Zealand, then to Savannah, then to here in a short period of time. I would, and then I came into here and I preached five times on the weekend. And I thought, you know, I'd done that before, but not every week. And it was taking its toll on me. I, haven't, I hadn't learned to pace myself yet. And so I found myself on the floor of our home in Covina one night just crying, weeping like a little baby. And my wife came into the room. She goes, she had never seen me like that. I had never seen me like that. You know, you don't do that. <laughs> and uh, she said, what's wrong? I said, I have no idea. And a little voice in me said, call your father-in-law. Oh, I can't do that. He lives on the East Coast. Call your father-in-law. I called my father-in-law. He came out and he said, Jeff, of course this is happening. What do you mean? You're about to take territory. You know, God's called you here. You've said that everything in your life was to prepare you for here. You told me you're going to be here the rest of your life. And if that's what you meant, the devil knows that too. And there's no way he's going to stand by and let you just take territory without a fight. Man, that just inspired me. It's like God gave him the right word at the right time. And all of a sudden, I mean, wild horses couldn't drag me away. And I just, you bow your neck, you get tough and you get the job done. God will always send you encouragement when you grow faint-hearted. And then finally, let me end. Let me end. Here's what you have to know. This is important. I think if you miss this one, you miss them all. God is always working on the other side of the camp. 
Okay, let me do it like this. Uh, Tony Campalo tells a story, and I've used this before. It's one of my favorite stories. He, uh, I don't know if you know Tony Campalo, fan- fantastic communicator. Uh, not necessarily in agreement with all his theology, but that doesn't matter. He, what matters is a great communicator, does a lot of good stuff. But he, um, he tells a story. He says, you know, I used to preach up and down the East Coast, and he would preach a lot in Pentecostal churches. And he says, I'm not Pentecostal, but I talk so fast, they think I'm speaking in tongues, so it works out okay. And he says, I, I was preaching this one service. I went in, I, you know, I was supposed to preach, and these eight elders take me in a back room, and they all start praying for me. Man, they just wouldn't shut up. They prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they weren't even praying for me. They were praying for some dude named Charlie Stolfus. And so I didn't know who Charlie Stolfus was. And the, longer, the more they prayed, the more they kept leaning on my bald head. And everybody ate of them just leaning on me, praying for this dude named Charlie Stolfus. I just wanted to get out there and go, go preach. And, they, and what bothered me, they said, God, you know Charlie Stolfus. He just left his, his uh, three kids and his wife. He lives one mile down the road on the right-hand side on a silver trailer. And Kampalo says, I'm thinking to myself, dude, do you think God doesn't know where he lives? I think God knows where he lives. Just... Please get out of here. They kept praying. Charlie Stolfus started. Charlie Stolfus. They kept praying. They kept praying. Finally, it was over. He said, I went out and I preached the message and I just wanted to get out of there. He said, I'm driving down the Pennsylvania Turnpike. All of a sudden, I heard the voice of God. It wasn't audible, but I passed the hitchhiker and God said, I want you to pick up the hitchhiker. I don't want to do that, God. I want to get back home. It's been a long... Pick up the hitchhiker. Circle back around. Invited the hitchhiker. Hey, you need a ride? Where are you going? Anywhere you're going, I'll just go. Just drop me wherever. I just got to get out of here. They're driving down the road for about two minutes. I'm Tony Campalo. My name's Charlie Stolfus. He looked at the guy. Boom, immediately turns the car around. The guy says, what are you doing? He says, I'm taking you home. You just left your wife and three kids. He said, Charlie Stolfus just slammed himself on the passenger door. Just trying, how do you know that? And what really freaked him out is when he pulled right into his driveway, one mile up the road on the right-hand side in a silver trailer. <laughs> Drove right into his driveway. His wife came running out the door. Charlie Stolfus got out just sprung to life, went up on the porch, hugged his wife. You're back. She said, yes, I'm back. And Tony Capallo got out of his car and said, you're both going to sit down. You're going to listen. You're going to make this marriage work. He said, how did you know where I lived? Capallo says, God told me. <laughs> God did tell him, right? In that prayer meeting. But I want you to think about something. Look at, listen to all the people who heard the voice of God. Those elders heard the voice of God. They prayed a prayer. Tony Capallo heard the voice of God and picking up the hitchhiker. I mean, think of... Anytime God asks you to do something when you're in the wilderness, even though it seems unreasonable, it seems to be so unique, you have to know that he's working on it. Whatever he's asking you to do, he's working over here doing something too. You know, if he's asking you to pray for your husband to come back to God, pray for him because God's working in his life too or her or your children. You do and you be faithful in the wilderness and let God do the things because he's always working over here. That's exactly what happened. 300 men, how are 300 men going to defeat 135,000? How's that going to happen? You imagine what happened. They circled the camp, and at the right time, God gave them, they took the light, the, the, uh, the clay jars, and they crashed them on the ground. Now, it's in the middle of the night while they're changing watches. Only 300 are circling the camp. They throw the clay jars, which makes a noise. They lift the light, and more importantly, they say a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon, and that dream and interpretation had penetrated the camp so that the Bible says that the Midianites thought that everything that moved was an Israelite, and in sheer panic and fear, they started killing each other. And God defeated the Midianites, not the Israelites, because the Israelites followed the command and the plan of God, trusting that he'd be working on the other side of the camp. He was, he did, and they won. God will always use every opportunity to build your faith. He will lead you to do that 
brings him the most glory. He may require you to do something that's unreasonable. He'll always send you encouragement when you grow faint-hearted. Always send you encouragement. Make sure that you obey. He'll give you specific instructions that will lead to victory. And you've got to know he's always working on the other side of the camp. If you do that in your wilderness, I can't tell you how long you'll be in it. I can't tell you what God's going to do with it, but I'll tell you this. If you live by those six principles, God will achieve his purposes in you and will send you encouragement when you grow faint-hearted and you can rest assured he will use this wilderness experience for his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for your goodness, for your mercy. I thank you for the power of a narrative that reminds us of what you are willing to do in our lives when we submit to you. I'm so grateful, God, for the wildernesses of my life. I do pray that few come in the future. I mean, that's in our human nature. We don't like them, but I am able to look back and see what you have done. I pray for my friends in this room right now who are in a wilderness experience. I pray that you'd give them the wisdom to not always try to figure everything out, that we are finite, you are infinite. I do pray, however, that you would send them the encouragement they need through the words of a friend, through the words of scripture, and remind them most of all that our Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand upon this earth and he will have the final say. In the meantime, give us the courage to follow, to follow well and allow you to complete your work in us that we might glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.